0: you are locked on indians your daily cleveland indians podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day hello everyone welcome to locked on indians apologize for my voice there and the start of it let's get into things how about more stuff on the astros uh i think it's interesting that you know manfred after his statements yesterday there was an article released today where you know he kind of walked back some of those things and Really wanted to make it seem like his hands were tied. Can we just take a second, though? I mean, maybe people are tired of hearing about it. But let's just think about the Astros in the last six months. They go out and trade their entire farm system, at least the upper pieces, for Zach Greinke. Um, They have a lot of guys bragging about how well they hit people and uh, how well they're able to kind of tee off on pitching. They get in the postseason, get to the World Series. And on their way to the World Series... An incident occurred that is kind of passed and been completely forgotten. If Brandon Tubman does not go around sitting in the back going, "I'm glad we traded for Azuna," I'm so glad we got Azuna. Is he right now the general manager of the Houston Astros? Um, he was the assistant. I mean, there's a chance he would be in that position. So him shouting that made him a a toxic resource and B uh, made it so he is not currently a GM. But if you remember that story, the funny and interesting thing was when it broke, the Astros lied and covered it up. And they tried to make it seem like the female reporter was a liar. Um, They covered up and they lied about that and tried to basically ruin someone's life because trying to say, oh, she's making it up, which would have then banned her from the uh, being in there in the postseason. They would have, you know, could have cost her her job and people had to stand up and be like, no, this is a good reporter. We heard it. So basically, the, they tried to lie and cover that up, and eventually they fired him. Uh, if you go into the midseason, when they refused to allow a reporter access to Justin Verlander, which was kind of a that reporter, by all accounts, not kind of a jerk, not the best reporter, but b an odd, odd move. And it's the Astros kind of have gone out of their way to make an us and them mentality. But I mean, just to get back to it, there was no punishment outside of Tubman himself getting fired. The Astros slandered a journalist tried to make them lose their job, lied about activities, covered it up, and then gave a half-hearted apology. Where else have they lied, um, slandered others, given a half-hearted apology? Oh, that's right, when they cheated and won a World Series. So the fact of the matter is that, like, if we look at these as all isolated things, maybe it's one thing, but the fact is that in the last six months, twice, the Astros have tried to lie about a situation, slandered others to try to escape punishment for that situation, Uh, and tried to cover up and really when you get down to it it it, you know you can say oh they're separate but they're not it's a sign of institutional failure this is a sign of an organization organization not being run well and as i put it tonight simply on twitter when you get right into it if jim crane operates a team that allows this to happen in two separate incidents in a six-month period he has no business owning the astros he has the organization he has run has shown such little institution, institutional control. The players, daily, there is a new player coming out pissed off about this. You got LeBron James coming out about it. Uh, you know, it, he's he's waded in the water. You know, some of the vets, really steady guys, you know, uh, Nick Marcakis getting into the waters of it. Uh, the lack of institutional control. Jim Crane should be forced to sell that baseball team. Uh, I don't think there's any way around it. How can he how can anyone look at him as an owner and be like, he is doing his job. He's not. If Leplo was fired, if Hinch was fired after these last two incidents, crane should be forced to sell the Houston Astros. He should be banned from ever owning a baseball team. And you can be damn sure that the NFL, the NHL, none of them would want his name associated with them at this point. His money may be good, but a lot of people want to buy franchises. Um, you know, there's a the TV show Billions up and down show, let's be honest. If you, you love it, there's you can admit that it's been very uneven. But there's a great line in the first season where it's like, you know, owning a baseball team or owning a sports franchise is how we knight people in this country. And that's the truth. Like, it is a big prestige thing. Not to mention it's a great place if you are an extremely rich person to park your money. Forget, you know, bearer bonds and gold and that stuff. You want to be sure that your investment's going to appreciate at a good rate while also... You know, having cities buy you stadiums and having the prestige that goes with it. Nothing's better than a sports team. They always go up. So, you know, if you got money, buy a sports team. That's my my advice to you. Uh, (laughs) But just to get back down to it, Crane shouldn't have that right anymore. I mean, this is... I was just thinking about today. It just hit me today as I was sitting around. Um during my lunch and I was thinking about the Astros and I'm like, man, this is a pattern of, uh, it's a pattern of abuse. And Jim Crane might know nothing about it, but it is his team and is under his control. And if he is in a situation where he is hiring people that allow a pattern of abuse to occur, then he should not be the one in control of that team because he doesn't have the ability to evaluate judge and hire the right people. I mean, that's just end of story. With the Houston Astros, and I'll kind of put that final point on it. Uh, every day, I see a new player, and it it just I, I more and more realize how badly this was run. And then, like I said, you just you look at those points. You look for the fact that oh, we uh, you go back to the Asuna trade in the first place, where you know they had this whole thing about uh, blue mark characters, and then they try to excuse Asuna's behavior. He's a good dude, or you know Justin Verlander who had his big talk about like. Uh, how he never wanted to be associated with. I'd have to look up the exact thing. But, you know, Verlander went against these people and then welcomed him as a teammate. There's just... And then the way the Astros tried to whitewash what Asuna had done, which was uh, terrible. You know, there's no other way to put it. It was terrible. And, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that maybe sports needs, uh, the, the you know, the evil something. I mean, the Yankees are always there in baseball, let's be honest. But uh, it's hard to look at the Astros with anything unless you're an Astros fan. The disgust right now, like that's just the honest, goodness truth. That team has been so badly run. They've had just so many issues. I mean, they've been beautifully run for a baseball team, but in terms of what they have done uh, outside of baseball, and then just the cheating itself, uh, there's no way you can it. it I know they went outside for their hiring, but they, frankly, it's, it's almost needs to be a, anyone who is even remotely associated with the cheating, there are some people left there who were still associated with cheating, need to be gone. And they, they should be, it should be a situation where they are forced to sell. So that is the first half of the show. I hope you enjoyed my righteous indignation. And now it is time for our fantasy minute brought to you by League Commish. I'm going to go a little bit off book with this. Uh, You know, I kind of talked about the five players and the most important to the Indians. Uh, they're kind of five best. But let's talk about a player who I think is the would be the hardest to replace, and that's Roberto Perez. If I say the number four to you, that represents the total number of catchers last year who were qualified for the batting title. If I say two, that's how many of them had uh, positive offensive numbers. Now, when you look at advanced metrics, Roberto Perez was closer to average. But when you look at some of those stats that always come up in a fantasy league, he was tied for the fourth most home runs uh, amongst catchers. And he did that while playing in 30 less games than Grandel or Real Muto, who uh, Grandel only had three more Real Muto, one more. He did not, since he was hitting lower in the order, you know, the runs and the RBIs weren't as high. In terms of walk rate, he was one of the uh, the better catchers. And that's really the thing, you know, when third best walk rate amongst catchers with at least uh, 400 at-bats. So that was what I kind of dropped it down to. Now... We say he's closer to league average, but he gives you some pop. The catcher position is a black hole of offensive production. So what you're getting when it's league average, that's not catcher average. That's league average. Perez also wore down last year with that injury that he had um, dealt with at the beginning with the heel. He'll Hopefully uh, we know Tito loves Sandy Leon. He was already talking about him. He's going to get some opportunities to play. So Perez won't be counted on quite as much, but Roberto Perez try to target him i think he's gonna be one of those guys trending up this year the power is there the hard hit he does everything well um i know defensive value rarely gets uh put into most leagues but we already know all of the positives with the defense but he's gonna give you at a position that uh offensive production is hard to come by he's gonna give you power he's gonna give you some on base he's gonna give you a home run and walks so Target him. I think he's going to be one of the better values. Guys like Rondell and Realmuto, because they're the names, tend to get uh, zapped early by people selected quickly. You know, I, Roberto Perez, Omar Navarez, who's now with the Brewers. Those are the two guys I'd be looking at for for that value at the uh, at a position that is so shallow. What are you doing for the game? A universal question. Whether the casual follower, the person who tweets everything, the beginner, the diehard, the statner, the smat talk smack talker the appetizer guy the couldn't care less or the makes everything into a competition we all have our place in the sports world the same applies to your fantasy sports and league commission exists to ensure the fantasy sports experience is the best one for you we match managers to leagues as we lay the foundation for your new league it's easy to sign up with your preferences get matched and approve of that match before any commitment on your end Sign up with League Commission by February 29th and receive 15% off by entering the code LOCKEDON in the referred section of the sign-up form. The first 25 people to use our code receive their first match for free. Again, I talked about yesterday. If you're like me and you're pushing, getting close to that 40, you, you've had so many people drop off in your leagues over the years, started a lot of them in college or high school, it's a great way to sit back and try to find a new league with people who are, you know, doing it at the same level you do if you're more laid back find a help you get a laid back league if you're more uh competitive you'll find that type of league so league Mesh, check it out thank them for being our sponsor so we have discussed uh the astros at length let's actually talk about the cleveland indians i'm sure there are people out there going all right finally so the Indians of course were at um, you know the down period with spring training and all of that I did not hear back uh, as of yet on the talk of left field so I think I might have actually done well on that uh, for the all-time Indians team so let's we've talked about left we have talked about first we've talked about catcher we talked about Dh you know we still got all of our pitchers to talk about second base is a you know a deep interesting position shortstop third third bases is a real dive we'll get into that uh, eventually that might be last but let's talk about right field for the cleveland indians i i realized as i was pulling up my numbers there was one left fielder i left off um charlie jameson he uh if you're looking at kind of the all-time indian stuff he is uh 29th in war. uh left fielder played you know from the teens to the 30s so you'll forgive me for forgetting him in left field, there's really kind of, or I'm sorry, in right field, we really have four names to really look at, I think, um, above and beyond everyone else in terms of the the Cleveland Indians and, you know, who logged time. Now, one of those guys is uh, someone who spent a lot of their career in left and is sometimes more thought of a left fielder, but his time in Cleveland was mostly in right, and that's Manny Ramirez. Uh, has several of the top seasons in Indian history, one of the top twenty players in franchise history. We look at him debuted at age twenty one, didn't play a ton. Ninety four at age twenty two, finished second in rookie of the year in ninety one games. Um, I feel like that's not a lot. Remember that's a strike year. And he was with the Indians then from ninety four all the way through two thousand. So the Indians got a good six years out of him. Another one of those guys. You're like, ah. Oh, only they could have you know bought in some of those free agent years. They were not able to. To do that with him, he didn't get the, uh, he was so that's why at age 29 he was able to, to go to the Red Sox, um, sign a massive contract. The Indians did, he's one of the last guys I can really remember hearing about the Indians making a late push to try to keep him in town um, before he unfortunately walked. So Ramirez is probably in terms of offensive production the number two guy. We can just kind of mention him, you all know Manny Ramirez and move on. The number three guy is Elmer Flick, Hall of Famer from bedford ohio born and raised an ohio guy uh northeastern ohio no less made it in the hall of fame in 63 he actually but he went to twinsburg high school oh no that's he's buried in twinsburg i'm sorry but from bedford he started out with the phillies and was with the phillies from 1898 to came to cleveland in 1902 and was with cleveland from 1902 till 1910 uh stole a lot of bases Kind of the curious thing is he three times in Cleveland, led the league in triples with 18, 22, and 18, just to show it was a different game. Uh, 1906, 157 games, 700 plate appearances, 624 at-bats, 98 runs, 22 triples, 39 stolen bases, led the league in all of those categories. The year before that, he also led the league in batting average, slugging percentage, OPS, and OPS+. You look at his career numbers, you know, 1,700 hits, 48 home runs, uh, it was it was a different era, uh, for sure. But a Hall of Famer he is in there, and he is currently you know I would put the second guy. So we've talked about second is Flick as a Hall of Famer, or maybe he's third. I think four is probably Rocky Calavito. We talked about on the show last night. Um, terrible trade when the Indians uh, traded him away. Came back for a bit and was actually you know it, sometimes that '65 '66 year. An all-star both those seasons, though. 66, uh, not as strong just because the on-base skills dropped so much. Led the league into grounding into double plays that year. But uh, really unfortunate that the Indians decided to trade him away in his prime years, coming off 42 home runs where he led the league in home runs after hitting 41 the year before. 24 and 25. uh, You know, went to Detroit, hit 35, 45, 37. And it's just interesting when you look at his numbers because he ended his career with 374 home runs, And essentially, at 32, he had 30, and then it just, the wheels came off. His age, uh, 33, 34 years, there was nothing uh, to, I mean, he got the chances, but the performance wasn't there. One of those uh, all-time, I I think he should be considered an all-time great Indian, should get his number retired by the Indians. Let me just state that right now. Rocky Calavito, based on his performance, you look at, like, career, and I'm going to apologize for the head cold. I know I've been disgusting on this podcast today, so I'm just going to apologize right now for that 30th all-time um, sandwiched between Charlie Jamison and, and Michael Brantley, who I probably should have mentioned on the all-time left field as well. So he's uh, he's between a two pair of left uh, left fielders. Uh, Shin Choo Chu is, uh, is 33, so maybe we talk about him as a right fielder, uh, maybe as an all-time underrated Indian. Uh, just to throw that out there as well. But number one is... So choose fifth, we'll throw that there, give it to him. Number one, though, I'm sure most people could figure this out um, by this point in time. A guy who played a lot of positions, almost has an equal career in right and in left, but in Cleveland, uh, he was mostly in right right field during his time there. So that is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, Debuted in 1908 with Philadelphia, was there for in 1908 and 1909, Appeared in five games each of those years, so didn't really get a chance. Came to Cleveland, 1910. He's 22. Appears in 20 games, but 1911 he gets his opportunity, and that first year he leads the league in on-base percentage, uh, hits 400, but did not lead the league in batting, even though he hit 400. Next year he hits 395. Uh, he's doing all of that, having 45, 44, 39 doubles, 19, 26, 17 triples, just stuffing. Uh, the box sheet, finishes fourth in the MVP, ninth, second, and fifth, and that's in 1914. Uh, remember he was, that first, 2013 was his first full-time, 2013, 1911, when he was 23, first full-time season, and then in 1915, the Indians trade him uh, to the White Sox. He was still playing very well at that point, but he was still moved on, and of course that's where his career would kind of meet its end. Uh So if you're just tracking how he got places, he was uh, sent to the Indians as a player to be named later for Briss Lord, who I am not familiar with, I will be honest, uh, because he was kind of an average guy, uh, an outfielder with a great name, Briss Lord. Uh, Went there, wasn't even having a great season for Cleveland, let's be honest. They get Sheila shows the player to be named later. Eventually... He is sent to the White Sox for a player to be named later, Ed Klepareff Brago-Roth, and $31,500. The Indians also got Larry Chapel in the deal. If you're curious about these pieces as we go through, Ed Klepareff, a pitcher who never did much. Um, at that point, he was already 20, uh, 28 years old and had, you know, Pitched what three games in the majors at that point with the White Sox. Eleven the year before, didn't play in 14 or 1912, so that's that's not really much of a guy. Brago Roth had had a a decent career, Uh, you know, 22 career or 16 career WAR. That's nothing to look past as we compare through eras. He was okay for the Indians. He wasn't anything special. He was uh, 22 years of age, and I mean. Had a pedestrian season, if we're just being honest, before he was traded. So not not impressive. And then Larry Chappell uh, was a part-time player at best. Appeared in three games with the Indians. So They they traded him. This is a guy who was at his peak. So you look at that, you look at the era, you go, it was money. The Indians sold Shoeless Joe Jackson to the Chicago White Sox. And I decided to pause the podcast there, and I found this from... uh, August 20th, 1915, the struggling Cleveland Indians need money, so owner Charles Summers deals star outfielder Joe Jackson to the Chicago White Sox. In exchange for Jackson, who was hitting three thirty one and the past four seasons hit three hundred thirty eight and 408 the Indians got outfielder Braga Roth and two seldom-used players, Larry Chapel and pitcher Ed Klepfer. Most importantly, the Indians also received cash, with reports varying from 15000 to 31500 So yes, that's all it is, he was sold to the Chicago White Sox in an era where you could just straight up sell guys. The Indians all time best right fielder. When you look at like Indians history, 11th uh, for his time here in terms of war, you look at all time, like just single season. He had the fifth best season uh, for position players and the seventh best season. And just in terms of offensive production, fifth, seventh and ninth. Remember, he was really only in Cleveland for four complete seasons and And in those four years, he was able to leave that big of a mark where he has three of the top 10 offensive seasons in Indians history, and he only had four complete seasons in Cleveland. Um, It it speaks enough to how he got up there. You know, it was always one of those things that like, the thing with Shoeless Joe is of course being forced out of the game. And you know, it's one of those things we've heard all the sides, but just to give people who aren't familiar with it, you know, I think there was... Double-digit errors were committed, none by Shoeless Joe. He hit nearly 400 with an OPS over 900. Uh, But you want to know why the players cheated? How about this? Uh, White Sox pitcher Eddie Chikat was promised a $10,000 bonus if he won 30 games during the 1919 season. Uh, When he got to 29 games, he was benched for two weeks, so he didn't get the opportunity for the 30th win. This is the—you know, again, one of the best players in the game was straight-out sold um, by the Indians— the owner benches one of the White Sox star pitchers because, hey, they had a big lead. Um, you know, it, the team would get an additional bonus if they won the pennant. And then after they clinched the pennant, uh, there was a case of stale champagne awaiting the team. And that's when the players realized the stale champagne was their promised bonus. Uh, so, yeah, the, these players had a reason to uh, kind of be PO'd. And at the time, if you're like, well, the this Joe need money. You know his listed salary was six or eight thousand uh, at the time. I mean that's a significant amount of money. I put in in a calculator. It's like eight thousand was over a hundred thousand now. Um, obviously not the money players make nowadays, but still, uh, it was a good income. So, yeah, uh, you kind of look back and you, I, I get it that this was them tossing a game, but you kind of understand why they would. Uh, they had a reason to hate their owner. I mean there's no other way around it. This is someone who was lying and cheating his players. Um, And I think it's interesting to talk about Chulis Joe, talk about a World Series cheating scandal after the start of the show. Yeah, a little bit intentional. Uh, So you look at the Indians' right field history. You look at Chulis Joe. You have a player who was sold. Number two, Elmer Flick. Hey, he was here the whole time. There's no negative. Manny Ramirez, someone they uh, couldn't afford to keep. Rocky Calavito, someone they gave away uh, in a trade, a, a foolhardy trade at the time, and uh, Shinjuchu5, a guy who they made quite a good trade with when they let him go, and we will bookend with a pair of World Series cheating scandals, because that feels very appropriate. Uh, Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show, today's rant, and today's talk of tainted World Series. Have a great day. You guys and gals are the best, and as always, go Tribe.